Good morning and happy Easter. It's so good to see all of you this morning. I hope you were able to uh, take a peek at the sweet animals we had out front. We had a wonderful 9 o'clock early cold service, but it was filled with joy and baby animals and an Easter egg hunt afterwards. We are reminded on this Easter Sunday that a family that prays together stays together. So if you have a prayer request, there are prayer cards in front of you in the pew. These will be picked up during the first hymn. If you would like personal prayer, Pastor Steve will be up here at the front after the service. Please take a minute to look at your bulletin. There's a couple events coming up that I'd like to highlight. Next Sunday, we are having our Spring Bazaar. It is not too late to donate items for our silent auction, if you could bring those by Thursday. Or if you have a delicious baked good, if you could bring those next Sunday to go into the bake sale. And then on the back of your bulletin, we're doing something new this summer. We're having art camp for all grade school age children. Registration has opened for that in June, and we hope that you join us. I would now like to invite Rachel Haddad, a member of our search committee, to come forward for an announcement. Good morning and happy Easter. I'm losing my voice a little. Can you all hear me? Good. Okay. Well, as Rachel mentioned, my name is Rachel Haddad, and I have been a member of our pastor search committee for the last two or so years. I am here this morning on behalf of our committee to share that we will be presenting our candidate for senior pastor of Mayflower Congregational Church on Sunday, April 24. That's next Sunday. Following the service, a congregational meeting and vote will be held. This week, you can expect materials introducing our candidate in the mail. You will also receive information via email, and we will have this information available on our website, including a video introducing the candidate. We welcome your engagement, and we hope to see you next Sunday, in person or online, for the vote. Should you have any questions, please reach out to myself, to one of our committee members, or to the church office. Thank you. This morning we have middle school and high school singers joining chancel choir for this big Easter celebration. And also um, all of you as the big Mayflower choir. So this morning you were handed a bulletin as you entered, but also something that looks like this. This is not a bulletin. This is an actual uh, choral score for the Hallelujah Chorus. Um, If you did not get one and want one, just let an usher know. Um, And we invite you at the very end of the service to join our choirs in singing the Hallelujah Chorus and have this whole room uh, with a joyous explosion of hallelujahs.
Christ is risen. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Thanks be to God.
us pray. Almighty, omnipotent, eternal God, there is nothing you cannot do. There is nothing you do not know. There is no place where you are not present. So on this Easter morning, you are here with us at this very moment as we celebrate the pinnacle of your power, the fulfillment of your promise, the resurrection of your only Son, Jesus the Christ. So in resurrection power, enthrall our hearts with the singing of hymns. Make holy the voices of the choir. Sanctify the words of Scripture. Empower the preaching of our pastor. And lead us to consecrate our entire lives to the glory of the resurrected Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, alive and present with us in this very place. Amen. I'd like to invite all the children worshiping with us this morning to come forward for the children's message. Good morning. It's so fun to see all of you. Happy Easter. So a week ago, it was Palm Sunday. And all week long here at church, we have been trying to figure out who is Jesus. And that made me think about my chickens. About a year ago, my neighbor called me on the phone and she said, Rachel, I have an extra chicken coop. Do you want it? And I immediately said, yes, I want a chicken coop. So she brought the chicken coop over, and then I had to get some chickens to fill it. So a person I know has a chicken farm, and he gave me five little tiny chickens. So I'm like, okay. So I put the chickens in the coop, and then he said, but wait, you have to have a ceramic egg. And they said, well, what does this do for me? Well, the chicken coop is big. There's a big area that they can run and play. Then there's an area where they eat. And then there's an area that's called the coop. 
And the coop is where you put the ceramic egg so that when they get old enough to know how to lay an egg, they know where to put it. So they're going to see this and know that's where I put my egg. Like, all right. So we did it and it worked because now one year later, these are the eggs that we get in our coop. So it made me think, what kind of eggs do we follow in our lives? These are the eggs we want to follow, aren't they? These are the fancy, shiny, pretty things that we want to be a part of. But I'm going to show you something. These aren't that sturdy and aren't that strong because oftentimes when things are pretty and shiny, I should have tried this ahead of time. <laughs> they are empty and there's nothing in them. But if we have our hope and our person that we follow is Jesus, there's nothing that is going to crack open what we follow. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful that you are our ceramic egg, that we can know about and follow and be more like. May you bless us on this beautiful Easter morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to go to Sunday school. If you are four years old or five years old, you're going to go with Mrs. Coster to Bible Beginnings. So if you can stand up, if you're four or five. And then the first, second, third, and fourth graders, we're going to go with Mrs. Wiener downstairs. All the children can be picked up down in Fellowship Hall following the service.
The scripture reading this morning will be found on page 706 in the Pew Bibles. And I invite you to turn there because there is something good about seeing the word even as you hear it. So on page 706, you will find the reading begins in Matthew chapter 27 and the 57th verse. And the scripture concludes into the 28th chapter, verse 9. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you. 
So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. They came to you, Lord. You said greetings. And they took hold of your feet and worshipped you. We are symbolically doing this today. We want to take hold of you and worship you in our celebration of your resurrected life. Today, may we experience freedom and resurrection in our own lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have a columbarium here on our property at Mayflower, south this way. If you've not visited it yet, you might want to do so. There's a prayer garden and some seating. It really is quite lovely. I did not realize how much I would know about this space until last summer when I officiated several funerals and committal services in our columbarium. I learned that there are special containers that hold the ashes of a person who has died. The container is placed inside the designated columbarium opening, and it's secured with a specific type of screwdriver and unique screws that are drilled into the metal nameplate. I know, I know all of this, and I now have one of those unique screwdrivers in my desk drawer in my office. I believe that this is holy and sacred work that I do. We take the death and burial of Mayflower members very seriously. Their liturgies and rituals that are incredibly meaningful. We have 192 niches for ashes in our columbarium. Roughly half of these currently hold remains. This space is the closest we have here on our property to a tomb. Could you imagine if one day our columbarium was suddenly empty? If one day we went out to pray and remember our loved ones and all the metal plates had popped off and the niches were totally devoid of ashes. It's Easter and I don't mean to be disrespectful or weird, but I'm not sure that we have any concept of how absolutely ridiculous the scene at the garden tomb on Resurrection Sunday must have been. We say things on Easter like, the stone was rolled away, the tomb is empty. But how disorienting would this have been at the time? New Testament professor Ira Brent Diggers, he writes this, Having celebrated the angel's announcement for over two millennia, we Christians struggle to appreciate the disorientation and panic of this moment. Even if we had heard Jesus' own prophecies about his suffering and resurrection, would our stepping into his empty tomb And hearing this announcement from a mysterious figure automatically bring everything into clearer perspective? 
Even if we, like many first century Jews, had anticipated a general resurrection of the dead at the climax of human history, would we not also be confused and even panicked at the sight of Jesus' personally bodily presence? It's hard to frame the story or even grasp some of these dramatic elements when we already know the ending. The ending is so fantastic that we have a tendency to kind of skip over some of these details, don't we? You know, it's like if you go to a concert and you're waiting for that song, like that favorite song, the hit song, and you sit through the whole concert and wait, and what do they do? They play it at the very end, right? Do you really hear all those songs before, especially the band's new material? This Easter narrative is embedded with fascinating twists and turns and surprises. And I find the tomb itself to be one of these. First, we learn that the tomb Jesus' body was placed in had never been used before. Joseph of Arimathea gifts his own new tomb for the burial of Jesus. Why? One would imagine that as a rich man, he had chosen a select spot for his final resting place. To donate it is quite something. But Joseph was one of the leaders of the Jewish council who actually followed Jesus. He had to do it kind of secretly. So what kind of devotion did Joseph have in order to do this thing? He saw Jesus as the Messiah when his fellow Jews vehemently did not. So Joseph is an unusual and key character in this story. And keep in mind that most crucified victims in ancient Rome were left on the cross even after they died. That means the elements and the animals took care of the flesh that was left. However, it was not unusual for Roman authorities to grant the body of a crucified person to his friends or family, provided that person was not guilty of high treason. Joseph of Arimathea saw this as an opportunity to honor his Savior Jesus because Pilate surely did not think Jesus was truly guilty of high treason. Otherwise, he would not have released the body to Joseph. So Joseph stepped in quite strategically, didn't he? And the fact that Joseph's tomb was new is a point of clarity to note. So no other corpse could have been confused with Jesus' body in that space. There was no dispute over the tomb and its history. So as fascinating as the tomb is, what about the stone? The text tells us that Joseph rolls a great stone to the door of the tomb before he exits the scene. So take a peek at the picture on the front of your bulletin. When we hear the words, the stone was rolled away, the implication is that the the tomb was sealed with a stone that's a circle. But archaeological evidence suggests that it was more common in Jesus' day to seal tombs with these kind of cork-shaped stones cut out to fit the tomb entrance. So how could it have been rolled? So the Greek verb kulio, translated roll, could also mean kind of dislodged or moved. And so whether or not this is accurate, whether or not a cork-shaped stone, stopper stone would have filled that gap, it's still at some point you have to kind of roll it to get it out of the way, right? So regardless of the stone shape that sealed the tomb, it would have been very 
very heavy. When Mark writes in his gospel that the women go to the garden to visit the tomb, he mentions that they're concerned, saying to one another, who's going to roll that stone away? So our passage tells us that the next day, the Pharisees and chief priests, they're nervous. This man they insisted wasn't the Messiah said he'd be raised on the third day. So they just want to make sure this doesn't actually happen or appear to happen. So it's an interesting statement, right, about either their damage control or perhaps actual, their actual belief. So they petitioned Pilate to ensure that there's no monkey business around this tomb. So Pilate tells them they have a guard, so use it. A guard like a, like a security guard, like a mall cop, like what's he talking about? According to Roman historians, a guard was a unit of 16 soldiers who followed very strict rules. They had to stand in formation, and they were responsible for six square feet. They could not sit down or lean on anything while on duty. Was this really the kind of guard that Pilate ordered at Jesus' tomb? We don't know. Scholars are kind of all over the place as as to how many soldiers there actually were in the contingent. But there is a consensus that there were several men standing guard to ensure that that tomb stayed sealed. So Matthew tells us three things about this tomb, right? One, make it secure. Two, have a guard posted. And three, set a seal on it. So maybe the rock itself was the seal because it kind of fit in there in that specific way. Or, as in Roman custom... Perhaps there was a seal made of a moldable substance, like a a clay or a wax, that was imprinted with a Roman imperial seal and attached to the stone with a series of ropes. Breaking the seal would incur the empire's wrath, because what was officially sealed stayed sealed. Only the emperor could unseal it. So, we have a cork-shaped stopper stone strategically placed to secure the tomb and a series of ropes wrapped around it, held in place, sealed with a clay or wax Roman seal. Today, we don't use seals. We use passwords and encryption and official signatures on our important documents. We don't use seals like they used to, those wax circles kind of on the back of envelopes that seals the letter inside and there's a signet ring or a stamp that makes it official, that kind of thing. But in the ancient world, a seal was sacrosanct. A seal made something authentic and final. So to be clear, this tomb is no joke. It's Fort Knox. The Pharisees and chief priests' nervousness that the disciples would pull a fast one is interesting. They worried that the removal of Jesus' body would provide evidence that he was raised as he said he would be. So ironically, their exact actions to secure the tomb does what? It ensures that no human effort could have raised Jesus and freed him from that tomb. Their paranoia actually proves that God moves. All of this careful planning makes it crystal clear that divine intervention has occurred on the grandest scale ever. 
Not only is Jesus not in the tomb, but it took an earthquake and the strength of an angel to roll that stone away. The women, the female disciples, are the first ones to see this. That's another sermon. They are the ones who bear witness to the truth and the reality of the resurrection. They are the first to attest that Jesus truly did conquer death. Something that he said would happen, happened. But remember, they could not, they did not have an imagination big enough to conceive of this. They were shocked. This is not how they envisioned this happening. Eric just read verse 8 of Matthew 28. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Fear and great joy. Joy, sure, but fear? Fear of the Romans? Fear of the Pharisees? Maybe. Fear of the earthquake and the angel with his clothes of lightning? Perhaps. I think there are times in our lives when these two emotions are actually quite appropriate and appropriate to experience simultaneously. Fear and joy. Birth is terrifying and can be full of joy. Parasailing, hand gliding, bungee jumping, I suppose you could say all of those activities are joyous and terrifying at the same time. But in a spiritual sense, when do we feel both fear and joy. Reflecting on our text from Matthew, one writer states, we cannot meet Jesus without being shaken. What does it mean for us to have our personal stones rolled away? Might this be something we approach with fear and joy? If we claim that Easter is real, that It happened and changed the course of creation. If we attest that a loving God dwelled among us and experienced the most horrific death in order to conquer it on behalf of the creation that God loves, if we truly believe this, then freedom is real. If Easter is real, then freedom is real too. We do not dwell in tombs. Now or ever. Our ashes might rest in the columbarium, but our essential, soulful selves do not dwell in a tomb, a tomb of any kind. Which begs the question, how about when we're stuck? Do we sometimes choose to hang out in tombs? Do we sometimes find ourselves roped, sealed, and guarded in situations, in habits, and ways of thinking that are not bringing us life, ways that are not representing the freedom that we have in Christ. Scripture is full of promises that we're free. Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Is this Easter an opportune time for you, for us, to look at how we're stuck? Is it a time to experience the freedom that comes from the stone truly being rolled away? Is there a habit you need to change? Is there a person you need to forgive? 
Is there a mindset that keeps you doubting the goodness of God? Whatever it may be that has you stuck in the tomb, it's time to be free. The power of the most holy God, power that can come with divine earthquakes, lightning, and glowing angels, it is accessible to you, to all of us. So what might happen if we were all unstuck? If the cork-shaped stopper in our lives was rolled away? What might be unleashed in our relationships, in our families, in our church life? Do we have this kind of imagination? The grieving women witnessed the stone removed, the Roman guard becoming lifeless, and the seal broken. All of this done by the hand of God. They approached the garden tomb having no idea of what they would encounter. How about you? Let's look at that seal again. If seals show authority and authenticity and are final, and only the one who makes the seal can break it, if we think about this with regard to God, Scripture tells us that God has sealed us. Ephesians promises that we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What a promise. We are unstuck. We're out of the tomb and we have a new seal, the Holy Spirit. This is freedom. If you are at a crossroads, feeling entombed, there is a road to freedom, and you are invited to take it every day. Perhaps joy and fear do exist simultaneously for us, the joy and this freedom and the fear that we just might miss it. Remember, you are sealed. You are not in bondage or a tomb. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in love. Pastor and Professor Elizabeth Johnson writes this. The resurrection is not merely an exercise of power on God's part. It is an act of love. An act of love on the part of God who will not abandon Jesus to the grave and will not abandon us to sin and death and despair. It is an act of love on the part of God who took on the worst of our violence and brutality and refused to respond in kind. Instead, God responded with an act that made all things new. No cork-shaped stopper stone is large enough to keep Jesus in the tomb. So it is with the life-giving power and love of God. No show of force, no contingent of guards or security police can stop it. The resurrection is an earth-shaking, unsettling event. But as Jesus himself tells us, we do not need to be afraid. The one who shakes the earth with the resurrection is the one who holds our future, who promises to meet us and be with us even to the end of the age. So let us roll the stone away and embrace a future of freedom, sealed with the love of a God whose Holy Spirit dwells in us. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
On Friday night, we gathered here to worship, anticipating the cross. And we sang, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. All who believe in the happenings of this week would agree that our response to the cross and empty tomb is to give our all, our love, our life, our resources. We give today so that the message of God's love and the reality of this day will continue to go forth from this place into this community and around the world. Thank you for your gifts, whether you give online or in person. Let us give with glad and generous hearts.
God of love, we return these gifts to you, asking that you would breathe your life into them. And we pray this in the name of the one who lives now and forever, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Our prayer on this day of resurrection is adapted from the words of biblical scholar Walter Bergman. And I invite us now to come in prayer. Our lives addressed to you have this bittersweet taste of loud clashing miracles And weak need doubt. So we come in our bewilderment and wonderment, deeply trusting, almost afraid to trust too much, passionately insisting, too timid to insist much, fervently hoping. Exhausted for hoping too much. Look upon us in our deep need. You, the defeater of death, whose power could not hold you. Come in your Easter. Come in your sweeping victory. Come in your glorious new life. And here are thankful grateful, unashamed, hallelujah. O living one, enter the dead places of our life, of our life and our relationship. Come with the sweetness and glory of resurrection. We pray for this church family and for the many needs, the many sorrows and anxiety that are represented in this family. Some loved ones are close to death. Oh, Lord, come in grace and life. Some Enter this day of resurrection feeling like we've lost a bit of life in the last year. So make this day fresh and new and alive. We join Holly and Bill Knighton in praying for the safe delivery of their first grandchild who will be born on this Easter day at any moment. Oh, we praise you for the gift of life. So renew our spirit and bring new life into our very being. For, Lord, we believe you are alive. 
praise be to your name. And we come before you now praying together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Hallelujah. You can clap. <laughs> he has risen. He has risen indeed. May you on this beautiful Easter morning. May you have the freedom that the tomb is rolled away. May you experience it anew. And may you realize that you are sealed, sealed with the seal of ultimate love. Go in peace. Amen.